Well, here we are, episode 29, Razorback. <laughs> Welcome to Remainders, where we talk about our favorite movies. My name is Patrick. With me always is the multi-talented Darren Varell. How you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to see you, Pat. Thanks for uh, suggesting another stellar movie for us to discuss here <laughs> together and share with our audience. Oh, yes. Today we're going to be talking the 80s cult classic Razorback from Australia. Going back to Australia to uh, harken back to a previous episode uh, with the proposition, but uh, we will get to that in a little bit. I want to know, Darren, how was your Thanksgiving and whether or not the Fishers and Sons uh, house is still rocking the coach house in the back? Thanks for asking about my Thanksgiving. I'd like to know about yours after I tell you about my excellent Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. I've been re-watching Six Feet Under and kind of getting a lot of shit for it, to be honest with you. Everyone's like, man, that's such an old show. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still great. It still holds up. A lot of people don't realize that HBO was like kind of get diving into a lot of uncharted territory back then. I mean, this is 2001 we're talking about. And they're talking about, you know, a lot of life and death and everything in between and what it means to be alive, to love. Um great show wonderful show we both love it and so i'm re-watching it i think i mentioned last episode with my girlfriend and we know that uh it's based in la which when i was younger living in chicago watching this show i wouldn't have really thought about that but now they kind of drop some things that oh this is the 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 house over here it, it's in this area of california and <clears throat> they also talk a lot about a lot of locations in california which i of course know about now since i live here but for Thanksgiving, we decided to um, do something unconventional and just take a little trip to see the Fishers and Sons house, which is here in California. So it was awesome. It wasn't that far away. It was about 20 minutes because there was no traffic, really. And um, man, to, to stand there where this show, you know, a lot of the exteriors were filmed there. But it's a, it's a, it's a if you know the show, it's a very recognizable house. Um and a lot of the characters are outside of it all the time. I think the interiors were a stage, but either way, it was amazing to see and just brought back a lot of great memories of watching it when I was younger. And like, also uh, my girlfriend at the time said, she's not going to take a photo in front of it. And I was like, well, at the end of this show, you're going to love this show so much. You're going to want to come back and take a photo in front of it. So <laughs> I, I took a photo yeah, yeah. in front of it and I posted it. I'm sure you saw, I sent it to you right away. And uh, yeah, that was my Thanksgiving. Uh, how was yours? Oh, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, that was uh, such a nice treat to get in that picture of you doing that, seeing how that's how you were spending it, because uh, it definitely got me a little jealous uh, that you had that uh, access to that, because I, yeah, I definitely would not have thought, I definitely knew, like, obviously it was set in California, but I, I've never even really thought about it being like a physical place that was still, you know, around that you could like check out in the area, but uh, that's pretty rad. Um I'm really quick. Just I'm interested in who's giving you shit. I'm watching the show and whether or not they're saying it's like, like any older drama is not worth it. Or it's like maybe the characters and the themes have like um, aged poorly or, or if there's any actual critique you've received at all. So. Um, also some things that I, yes. So I'll tell you in a second, but also some things I wanted to mention about the house. It's from the 19, I, I'm sorry. I think it's from the 19, like 1920s around there, if not a little bit earlier, maybe 1918, it was built. It's a really old house. 
And um, in this area that has like all these like mansions, they're sort of outside of Los Angeles where you kind of like thought when these were first built, these were like houses that probably looked out on like some of the most beautiful terrain, but it was very well-to-do people. The, per the person who built it was um, a Filipino golfer back then. And mm probably a super successful golfer. And so I think it's like a, it's in the hands of like a, a Filipino society now. Um, I don't think you can go inside and see it or anything, but you can definitely go outside and take a photo, just be respectful, of course. A lot of people do do it. Um, and we went the next day uh, to an improv show that my girlfriend was performing in. And if you really want uh, to be vulnerable, Tell people what you did uh, on Thanksgiving at an improv show so that they can reenact it. And that was the thing. So from oh, the okay, nice. they ask, you know, what oh, yeah. did you do? So, yeah, I've been getting a lot of shit about it on the Internet, of course, just because the Internet is a terrible place. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the improv show, we, we mentioned my girlfriend raised her hand and said, oh, yeah. So everyone's like, what did you do for Thanksgiving? We're going to do this on the stage here and improv improvise um, some people's experiences. And we, we said what we did. And so they, they're sitting there and, and it's a couple and they're reenacting their Thanksgiving dinner, watching Six Feet Under. And the guy goes, yeah, I know this show is super old and nobody would watch it now, but, you know, and of course, like that made me feel like, oh, yeah, like, am I an asshole because I'm watching the show from 2001, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. So that sounds like an improv uh, line that is appropriate. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I certainly would not take that literally. <laughs> you got Six Feet Under, you got Twin Peaks. Uh, you can stick with the old shows and uh, master the art of TV no matter what. So Agreed. definitely keep it open uh yeah that's awesome love to hear it man that's that's so cool uh, yeah we definitely wish i could have been there with you with that but uh, me too like me too it would have been awesome time, so. to have you there man for sure well yeah i mean uh mine was good we cooked uh we cooked some good food uh my typical irish self i mastered a couple of potato dishes uh because i'm pretty stereotypical like that so uh <laughs> definitely my favorite part of a, a good thanksgiving meal um and then we made it out to the theater, which I'm curious if you've seen yet, uh, the new Steven Spielberg movie, The Fablemans. Um, yeah, so I loved getting your text that you saw it and that you loved it, because of course I do want to see it. I meant to go this week. And okay, go, so you didn't catch it yet. It's playing at the Los Feliz 3, which is down the street from me, walking distance. It's right by the um, um, the post office where I like mail things. and. Um, Oh yeah. I for whatever reason I got busy and didn't get out, and I've been really upset about it. To be honest, I mean the Spielberg film in the theater is yeah. that's kind of autobiographical. Um, I, it's like a must see, so I, I have a plan to do that. But yeah, it's not going anywhere, even though you know it's certainly not making any money. It's bombing pretty hard in the box office, unfortunately. But wow, yeah, I was actually why because it's not a it's not an action film from the Marvel universe uh yeah i mean that's certainly one big part of it um i don't think his uh i didn't see west side story actually but that didn't do too well too uh so i know he's uh not really uh banging it out of the park with the box office which is just a whole other conversation with uh movies whether or not uh there's room for movies like that they're not the over-to-the-top action ones but um there were a few people in the theater it was like you know it was thanksgiving so you never know like how busy it's gonna get but but yeah, I loved uh, the Fablemans. It was I was really not uh, 100% sure what to expect in terms of like tone, you know, like I don't traditionally 
read a whole lot before going into a movie. Um, and so I really didn't know much about it. Um, there was a casting uh, component, which um, I don't want to talk about too much because it is kind of a pivotal part of the movie, but uh, David Lynch is in the movie. And uh, once I found that out, I was pretty excited for that. Um, but yeah, this movie uh, definitely is a love letter to, to film, uh, unsurprisingly, but then to see everything he put into it with his parents, uh, which the scenes are uh pretty chaotic in terms of like uh the family drama uh but when you combine the two components the family drama with his learning to and his falling in love with film at a young age absolutely loved it yeah definitely uh, any spielberg fan knows is that um a lot of like the reason he's so good about telling children's stories is because he has sort of this escapism that he's able to have with like this wonderful world of um make believe because he came from a broken but his parents yeah. were broken up right that's a perfect way to put it kind of uh, connecting those two things in terms of uh, what inspired him to get into film and there and there's just a through line to where he, one of his early films and this is not giving away too much he, he screens one of his early films and it has a uh, a pretty uh, emotional impact on somebody in his life um this actually happens a couple times but i'm thinking of one scene later in the film and it, it just sums up so much of like what drives people to make films and especially what drove him uh to you know master the art so i'm very excited for you to see it uh because i'm definitely looking forward to talking with you either on the show or off the mic uh, because yeah it's definitely one that's going to stick around i think it's going to age pretty well like uh in the retrospective of his career it's be like uh because it is pretty unlike most of his movies you know he's obviously uh, done a lot different stuff uh than an action chase movie over the last 20 25 years uh but this is definitely near the top of uh, his latter uh, half of his career awesome yeah you know it's funny because today um an indiana jones 5 trailer dropped did you happen to see that uh, I did not. I was watching the Avatar 2 trailer uh, today, so uh, that's what was keeping me busy. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, which, I, which, I know you're, which I know you're excited for. That's the reason why I said that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, so I think, who's the director? Uh, I think it's the same director as Copland, as we were just talking, uh, texting this week. Yeah, I forget. Um... I, at one point I read it, but I, I don't know offhand. The Dial of Destiny. Wow, that's a that's a that's a title. I know. <laughs> what did you What did you think of the the trailer? I'm excited. Well, I mean, I I, I love. I mean, I loved it. I love okay. fucking Indiana Jones. But speaking of Spielberg, you know, I know he didn't direct this one. Um, yeah, it's a big. That's a big deal. James, so James Mangold, which he's a fucking great director. I mean, he yeah. directed Walk the Line. Yeah. Uh, he his next movie, which. And I think we're going to have to do a special episode. His next movie is uh, a Bob Dylan bio biopic. Uh, so I'm excited for that. But yeah, he also directed Copland. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to see like what he does with this and yeah, it being like the only movie that Scorsese does in Helm. Yeah. Oh, you mean Spielberg? Spielberg. Sorry. I yeah. always got Scorsese in mind. You get the grape mixed up, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, right. But yeah, I loved it. And I, you know, I, I think the timing's right to talk about fighting Nazis again and, you know, um, uh, there's just a lot of great things about an Indiana Jones film coming back. I mean, a lot of people shit on the fourth one. I I still liked it, you know. 
2008. It's been a while now, but I remember when that came out, I was really excited. I'm like, holy shit, Indiana Jones is back, you know, and um, they did some de-aging. Uh, that's the big story about it, that they sort of like Scorsese had done in The Irishman. They did a lot of that, I guess, in this film for Harrison Ford, um, because he, I, I believe it's, it does take place, um, you know, kind of spans things, shows him in his older years, but then goes back and talks about um, some stuff that happens in his younger years. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I know that's like a, a thing. And I heard Harrison Ford say that this is the first time he's seen the technology used where he actually believes it. And um, that's pretty cool. Nice. Oh yeah. So like by his age, like this one would take place in like the sixties. I'm guessing. That's what I heard. So, yeah. 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 I mean, that would make sense for like where, cause the last one was in the fifties. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Shia LaBeouf handing over the, the torch didn't, didn't pan out for that one, unfortunately. So. Not really. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a, that would have been a wild movie. I mean, I would have watched a Shia LaBeouf Indiana Jones just for the fun of it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with uh, the fourth one. What is it? the Crystal of the Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, I rewatched. Man, I rewatched um, Temple of Doom uh, about six months ago. That movie is bonkers and i love it so much so that's the one i mean that's the one that was like on tv the most like as i was a kid so that's hmm. like kind of the one i saw the most just by default and so i kind of have nostalgia for it but that one is a straight up like by spielberg uh standard that's a straight up like horror movie uh i, I mean just like with everything that goes on in it um i think that's actually the movie that they ended up creating the pg-13 uh rating really? because of yeah like that was the film they were like we, we have guys like pulling hearts out of somebody in this movie and we're not going to rate it R because this is a family movie. So like, I don't know if they actually rated it PG 13, but that was definitely the movie that uh, prompted them to like have that in between rating. Cause before that it was just PG or R. I remember seeing that scene as a kid too. And that was terrifying. I mean, it's like, right. It's yeah. like, like real slow, you know, it's like, yeah. Pretty, pretty nuts. But speaking of uh, movies from our youth, I mean, this film skipped us maybe because the one we're talking about today, Razorback, it's from 84. And so yeah. the, the effects are very 84. Um, but <laughs> what I was, you know, reading once I was reading up on this film is that it had a lot of um, kind of drop. It harkens back to some of the, 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 the ideas that Jaws brought forth to cinema, um, which I remember, I think you saying, this is like the Australian Jaws to me. Um, I kind of wondered why you chose this film. And in my mind, I know like this, after watching it, it's very Tremors, you know, it's got like that very pat, like Tremors like um, feel, but so I know why you like it, but I kind of like, where did you first see it? And, you know, what kind of made you want to talk about it? Yeah, uh, I mean, really quick, I want to give like a quick synopsis uh, for everybody uh, to kind of give a better general background of the movie, get them a little bit more familiar. I mean, it right. really Razor, is like Razorback a, from 1984, right? Yeah, Razorback 1984, directed by Russell uh, Mulcahy. Um, I mean, it really is a story of nature run amok. Uh, a vicious wild boar terrorizes the Australian outback. Uh, so like in the first scene, a, first a small child is actually the first victim. And this prompts the child's grandfather, Jake Cullen, who I love in this movie. This is such a cool character. Uh, it prompts him to become like a hunter vigilante. And at the same time, an animal rights activist, Beth Winters, she actually goes to Australia to cover some uh, mass slaughtering of kangaroos 
for pet food and she ends up getting murdered as well. So we're not giving away too much. Uh, this is uh, pretty early in the movie. And so this leads to like her husband venturing to Australia to find answers about the death of his wife. And he ends up teaming up with Jake Cohen on his uh, vigilante kick, uh, both to clear Jake uh, Cohen's name to avenge the grandchild and to, uh, to find uh, the, um, the mystery of like what happened to uh, Carl's wife. And so this just all creates into this kind of like you said, this Jaws like, um, I mean, essentially every creature feature back in the 80s was a ripoff of Jaws. It's like, as it should be, it's like, you have like one of the greatest movies of all time. If you're going to make a creature feature, it's going to at least uh, pay tribute to it in some way. And I mean, this is kind of like an excellent entry into, like you said, one of my very favorite genres, which is the creature feature. You know, you got your Jaws, you got your Tremors, you got your Anacondas, uh, which I watched that last year, which is fantastic, still holding up. Um, but I, I mean, we'll get a lot more into it, but overall it is the high and the low that what makes me love this movie so much. It's like a visual and poetic artistry combined with a creature feature ridiculousness of a killer board. So it's these two things coming together that uh, makes this a visual treat for me and one that I love. Um, you know, this, this podcast often becomes the Music Box podcast, uh, uh, since I'm still here in Chicago uh, going all the time. But this that was the first time I saw this about six years ago. This was a midnight showing. I think the Chicago Film Society was putting it on um, just as a one-off. You know, they were just like, hey, we want to screen this movie because we like it. And so I caught a midnight showing of this, and it was pretty packed house. Um, and... Definitely one of the uh, my favorite screenings uh, there because we uh, got the crowd going and uh, was a perfect fit for a midnight movie on a Saturday night. I feel like this is one of those films that's like if you know you know kind of thing. It's like <laughs> you're at a party and somebody's like mentions that they've seen Razorback, and then uh, you're like you fucking know about Razorback, you know? Like it's like one of those. <laughs> it's just like let's talk, you know? Like all yeah, of a sudden you right. found your best friend at the party, and uh, I love that about these kind of films. That's kind of why you and I, you know, we have so much fun talking like this. Is because once you find somebody who really gets like movies like this, it's it's great. Yeah, and you're right. It opens up right away with uh, the abduction uh, and eventual killing of a child by a wild boar that is like of mythic proportions uh large rarely seen uh but when you do see him you're you're not there to live about it uh or tell the story about it um because this thing is, is a killer you know and it's in the australian outback of course it's amazing uh, great terrain as we talked about before um there's something about that australian outback that's just got everything you know um and I guess if you want to talk about Mad Max a little bit, like this is around the time of Mad Max, isn't it? I mean, the, the original. Yeah, this is uh, shortly after uh, The Road Warrior. Um, and it's the same cinematographer. So, Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, so there's, there, it's already a clear uh, connection right there. Uh, and it's, he's such, he did such an amazing job um, on The Road Warrior. Uh, and he, he just brings so much of it uh over into this movie uh dean semler uh the cinematographer uh he just captures so much that's great and mysterious and scary and terrifying about the outback in the 80s um although it's like a lot of timeless stuff in there you can a lot of the shots between both of these movies you can tell if it was 500 years in the future or or 
300 years in the past. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so that's definitely a good connection because it, it, it his talent transfers over so much. Uh, and that's one part of why everything fuses so well. Um, and it really is also the, uh, I mean, we'll get into it, but like the poetic artistry of Russell uh, Mulcahy. So Russell Mulcahy was a, um, a video, a music video director for years before this. I mean, he, I mean, I didn't realize the extent of his stuff. I mean, he made music videos for Sex Pistols, ACDC, Paul McCartney, Duran Duran, Fleetwood Mac, The Rolling Stones, Rod Stewart, and he did over like 15 music videos for Elton John. So, so small time stuff. What's that? The small time stuff, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, not at all. Yeah, definitely. He was a he was a all time famer for. Uh, I mean, basically the David Fincher of Australia, I'd say. So, yeah, there um, and so his visual style with like the short, punchy, and um, uh, almost hallucinatory kind of style just definitely transfers over to this movie, and it is like some of those hallucination scenes when Carl. Uh, who's the husband that comes to Australia to look for his wife. He's having this hallucination in, in the middle of the outback at night uh, and then wakes up in like just this like Salvador Dali style painting uh, uh, components to the, to the feature. And it, it's, it's such an incredible look to the movie, like in this middle, in the middle of this creature feature. It just it, it yeah, really kind of is... Like kind of like a bummer that this film is like the transfer is so bad at least it was from the rental on amazon um yeah I kind of was like man somebody yeah. should restore this film you know i'm sure it looks amazing like if it could be restored there might be a a, a recent um blu-ray release but yeah i definitely did not see it on that i, I streamed it uh it sounds like you do the same and um yeah the the the, the print was a little rough uh, but you know, this is this is one of those movies that's been gaining notoriety and becoming cult status over the last uh, 10, 15 years, much more than it was before. So I could definitely see like a pretty good print coming out uh, in the next five years or so. Well, with any uh, luck, gotta... you know, this podcast will help boost uh, <laughs> viewership as well. We can only hope. I mean, yeah. oof, man, <laughs> talk about talk about reasons to do stuff like this for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, and so it really is. Uh, connecting that. I mean, it's based on a novel by Peter Brennan. Uh, I read a couple excerpts, um, definitely kind of like a, uh, a fun 80s creature feature paperback, uh, which there were a thousand of them back in the day. Um, but there was uh, definitely the bones for like a lot of stuff. Um, and it got me thinking about that Fran Leibowitz quote about uh, books and movies is that um, good books make for bad movies and bad books make for good movies where the bad books or, you know, mediocre books, they give an, a filmmaker a little bit more leeway because they don't have to like uphold anything. They don't, they're not trying to uphold like a novel that people love or anything. And there's such different mediums that you do have to change. You know, it's like the idea of like directly adapting something to make it just like the book is, is always bad news. And so it really is kind of like those mediocre books that give way to like a lot of cool movies. Um, I mean, sticking with this stuff, like, and Spielberg, like Jaws, and um, uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, Jurassic Park. I mean, these are both mediocre books that he turned into great movies. And last week, uh, or uh, two weeks ago, when we talked about um, Night of the Hunter, 
that was an okay book that they was adapted into this incredible movie. So it's just something I've always been kind of thinking about. Like I said, it was a fan really worth quote, and she's got me thinking about that ever since I saw that. So well, yeah, as a screenwriter too, like that must be an, uh, a tough job to like jump into somebody else's work and then feel like you're not, you know, ripping apart their work. It's a lot easier to do that when you're like, well, your book didn't do so well in the first place. Yeah. So let me go ahead. Yeah. You know, nobody has this in their mind of who the characters are. And that's sometimes what the problem is with me in books is that uh, if I watch the movie first, it's really hard to go back to the book and read it because yeah. I'm always picturing Brad Pitt as, you know, that's why it's hard. I don't know. I want to read the, the new the Tarantino book on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I I, I guess in that case, like it's supposed to be those characters from the movie. So you're supposed to picture Brad Pitt in that role. But you know what I mean? It's like, if you go back and you see, let's say the Three Musketeers and you know Robert Downey Jr. played the lead character and then you go read Three Musketeers two weeks later, you're gonna think about Robert Downey Jr. and Three Musketeers the entire time, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I the, the few times that I've read a book and then immediately watched the movie after, um, it's always, uh, pretty difficult. Um, I am, I mean, I definitely do enjoy seeing a movie. And then if I, if it's, a, if it's supposed to be like a good book, I'll go back to it. Uh, cause it kind of adds a little bit more, uh, but sticking with the once upon a time in Hollywood, I definitely recommend checking that out. Cause that's, well, I mean, I am, but you, you know, that, I guess I was trying to make a point, but that was a bad one because that was a movie first, you know, and like right. making the novel afterwards, it's kind of like, also like these main characters in like history, well, like Robin Hood, for instance, you know, it's not like I'm going and I'm gonna read Robin Hood, uh, if that's a book, I'm pretty sure it is, right? But uh, <laughs> I mean, there's so many renditions of that movie that it's not like yeah, yeah. Kevin Costner every time I'm, or Errol Flynn, I'm just gonna be enjoying the film and uh, or enjoying the book as like it is because it's lasted uh, the test of time. So one of the Errol Flynn Robin Hoods playing at the music box this weekend, actually. And I've never, I've never seen an Errol Flynn. Uh, so I probably should. It, it you should go see if you have other yeah. time. That's one of my favorite. Uh, Olivia de Havilland's in it as well. Uh, Basil Roth, Rathbone as well. Um, oh, yeah. Directed by Michael Kirkies too. Technicolor. Fucking awesome. Nice. You get yeah. a chance, go see it. Yeah. Real quick, while we're talking about movies that are playing, Los Feliz 3, next week, I'm busy on the day. I sent it to you on Instagram, uh, but I know you don't have it. I don't think you were able to see it today. They are having Chris Smith at the Los Feliz 3, right down the down the walkway, to talk about American movie, and then they're showing American Oof. movie afterwards. I know. Oh, Actually, man. We just did that last week. For anybody who's, who's listening, we just talked about American movies. So the director is going to be down the street from me doing a Q&A at the greatest theater down the street, and I can't go. Oh, oh what a great movie. <laughs> was, I mean, that was, such a, that was such a fun talk and revisiting that one. But yeah, that would be uh, quite an experience to see that one with a big group and then uh, hear from the director firsthand right after. So I know. I'm like really bummed out. It's kind of like to how I felt going into this, knowing that I didn't see Fablemans. It's like there's not, not enough time in the day for me. Um, but anyway, back to Razorback. Uh, what were we talking about? Where were we? I don't mean to go off on a tangent. There. Uh, I mean, oh, I book. went off. Yeah, I went off on the tangent on books, but yeah, I mean, so it is based on the novel by Peter Brennan. Um, and like I was saying, I think that really does help it because uh, it really does create the uh, the bones for the eco kind of horror 
that is instilled in this movie. So Beth Winters, she's the woman who goes to Australia early. She's an animal rights activist. She's trying to uncover what's going on with uh, all this kangaroo slaughter, mass kangaroo slaughter, which Pet Pack is the uh, factory where these two uh, fucking doofuses, Benny and Dicko, work. Which Best name. These guys are great. This movie, yeah. is, is, this movie is worth seeing specifically so you can see a character named Dicko. Dicko <laughs> is fucking uh, stellar in this movie. He plays just this over-the-top Mad Max-style character. They said he would fit exactly right in... Yeah, with those, world. like, steampunk glasses and everything. Oh. Yeah. So good. Uh, there's that one shot where he just looks at, uh, over in the dark and he's got the, like the one red eye. He's uh, just everything about him. It, it would fit perfectly in Road Warrior. Uh, but it's where the pet pack is where Benny and Dick go work. And there's just these two shitheads and they go out uh, slaughtering kangaroos uh, in mass. Uh, and it's basically just to make pet food. And so Beth Winters is the one is the animal rights activist uh, investigating all this. And it really is kind of representing uh, uh, the Razorback that's going around killing everybody. Kind of really is the nature run amok, uh, nature defending itself from the exploitation of the natural world. Um, and it really is those bones that I think uh, kind of create uh, such a good movie. Because none of this is like overtly over the top. Nobody's having speeches about animal rights or anything. It's, it's just these characters going in. And then the reaction is that this giant fucking boar is going around killing everybody, defending nature. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny because it's like, I guess, like uh, we just talked about Mad Max as well. And I mean, Mad Max has like the oil crisis, right? I mean, we're, I think that movie came out in the middle of like, people lining up for the gas pumps not able to get gas in their cars during that time and there's this movie about well, what would happen if like gas was like something you couldn't get you know well <laughs> you have all these yeah. people driving around in the desert in these crazy cars killing everybody you know still a timeless story that's why it works so well yeah right yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just love kind of uh, the surface level themes uh, that it really packs in there. And then, like I said, when you combine that with uh, Mulcahy's like direction, uh, and which is very cinematic, very uh, poetic in a uh, visceral kind of way, just using the landscape of uh, Australia and then like I said, those hallucinatory scenes uh, are just terrifying. And, and so it just all goes so well together. The, yeah, pet, pack, the pet pack punks, that's what I call them. Uh, the fucking Benny and um, Dico. Yeah, and the dialogue between the two of them is just great. You know, um, such like crazy one-liners. Uh, this movie has a ton of those. And I'm sure I'll let you do the Jake Cullen line that I know is going to come up later. So I, and I just want to hear your, you know, cause I, this is your film pick and I know you love, I can, I saw you like loving this line when it came up. So I'm going to let you do that later, but um, yeah, just oh, like yeah. The back and forth with Dicko and Veneers is really great to have those two guys, but also they pretty terrifying, you know, they, 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 there's that race oh, yeah. that happened. Yeah. And it also kind of makes you feel like, well, nobody's nobody's going to find this woman. She's out in the middle of the outback and like, you know, yeah. she's nobody's going to help her. And then you think, though, well, maybe this Razorback is actually going to help her, you know. But no, yeah, the Razorback ends up killing her. Which too. it kind of does for a second. But then, right. you know, kind of. But then doesn't. Yeah. 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 It does and then doesn't. That's a perfect way. To, but that's nature, you know. There's not. Right. Uh, there's no. Uh, it's, there's no judgment. It just is. Um, oh, so good. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, some of those visual shots um, sticking on Spielberg. Actually, I heard in a Macaulay interview um, right after this came out, Spielberg called him straight up uh, to uh, uh, compliment on the film and literally ask him how he achieved that shot with the two moons uh, that's uh, in there. I don't know if you remember that part. It's like yeah. right before the hallucination part. And there's a shot where it shows like two moons in the outback and um, Mulcahy was saying like in their interviews like this is my first feature and like right after it came out Steven Spielberg calls me up and asks me like how I achieved that shot and how great it looked so I thought that was really cool speaking of the same year as um, Temple of Doom which was a uh, uh, between these two it's pretty hardcore horror year so wow or yeah my god yeah <laughs> And there was a there was another eighty four. Uh, there was the chase scene had total Terminator vibes uh, between oh, yeah. the score. Uh, it had kind of that tech noir score and just the the pacing of it. I definitely had a, a pretty uh, clear Terminator vibe to it. So I don't want to skip ahead too far to the uh, you know when the the boar finally spoiler alert the boar finally meets his demise, but. You know that the way that that was cut and edited was very interesting. Um, I, Shaking camera was yeah, uh, was kind of, pretty <laughs> intense. Like it's simple, but it totally works. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was kind of surprised he got away with it. To be honest with you, yeah. people were going to be like, "Man, I mean, people are going to have seizures watching this or something." But it was actually done pretty, and it was jarring. I mean, I think that was the effect, you know, um, that he was trying to to get. Yeah, I mean, I, like I was saying before, music video directors, you know, like I said, David Fincher, Spike Jones, um, there is a pretty unique style that you learn as a music video director because it's so visual uh, that it's just, it's, it's clear that a lot of uh, artists have been be able to uh, successfully implement that into film, um, which I love, so. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you're right. And the... Do you have to try to get a lot out of like, out of some stuff quickly? And I think that that's what music video directors can bring to stuff is that they know how to do that. But then it can also be a problem when you're looking at the long form and you have to like let things play out. And um, I think they did a good job of the balance in this film. I also really love that, like there's a lot of things in this that are just so cookie cutter, like starts out with like the guy who, wrongfully accused of killing his nephew and but nobody knows it's because this razorback came in and like they all think it's a joke like that's so classic like setup for this guy's now an outcast and he's hunting like his mission fully for life is to hunt this uh yeah you know razorback and then you've got the animal activist who's like is not welcome in the town you know like right. the outsider uh, who's not going to get any help from anybody and then the two assholes who are like going around causing all the problems and stuff like that it's really got like some classic formula to like make you enjoy the ride you know for a creature feature um, who do you think benny and dicko voted for they seem like trump <laughs> voters I think so. Yeah. yeah, I would think so. They kind of gave off that vibe uh, yeah. early in the '80s. <laughs> and I love how uh, like those guys are always kind of cute, like the weasels who, once they get caught in the in in the bad situation, they're like, "Oh, I was the one who's trying to help." You know, I was the one. <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm not going to say the weakest, but the least strong part of the movie is is probably the 
the actual protagonist, Carl, who isn't really much of a, a part of the story until halfway through, he comes looking for uh, his wife, Beth, who was killed. Uh, it's pretty generic uh, lead protagonist, but I mean, he gets the job done. But yeah, it really is uh, the Jake Pauling scene. We're not, we're not seeing Ash, you know, here. Like, no, yeah, he's not bringing strong Ash vibes. He's bringing sufficient New York vibes that of a guy who's coming from the city to Australia. You know, so right. It's not bad. Uh, but yeah, it really is the scenes with Jake Cohen uh, with his gun um, hunting the Razorback through uh, the Outback. It's just uh, so fucking great. He's uh, this is such a cool performance. He's like he's he's not stereotypical, but he's definitely leans into this, this Australian hunter um, category, and it definitely works. Um, but yeah, the 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 infamous line early on uh, is just kind of like one for the ages. Um, Beth Winters is uh, there in her trepid reporter uh, status, and she goes up to Jake Collins. This is the first time you're seeing him, like after uh, the trial where he's been. Uh, basically accused of murdering his grandson, uh, even though uh, he was never like uh, convicted of or anything. And it's clear he's just become like this new man set out on um, avenging his grandchild's death. And she's asking him uh, why he's hunting Razorbacks. Straight up, great accent. There's something about blasting the shit out of a Razorback that brightens up my whole day. And obviously, I can't do the Australian uh, accent justice, but man, this guy is a fucking uh, amazing character. Later on, uh, he's blasting got, the shit out of a Razorback. I mean, blasting the shit out of a Razorback. Yeah, oh, so good. Great. This guy's it is a performance great scene. Is so great. I mean, and it is kind of those poetic vibes um, that kind of run throughout, and it's largely him um, as a character. Uh, that I think has the strongest part. I mean, there's a scene later on, he's hunting uh, the Razorback. He's got a sniper rifle. He's looking for it. And he pans back. He, he notices it finally. And his, re- his reaction is, Jesus wept. This is, this is what he says when he finds a Razorback. Jesus wept. And I, speaking of Nick Cave, that's exactly what Nick Cave would say if he saw a giant killer Razorback in his sniper. Jesus wept. Uh, oh, it's so good. I love it. Uh, that's great man i know that's like why i knew immediately this like movie oozes patrick mcintyre it's like this is like the type of movie this and tremors is just like i know when i see movies like that i'm like these are movies you love and there always is like a little bit like it's fun it's a creature feature but there always is a little bit of something in these movies that kind of has like some lasting message right and like this movie, I feel like the last scene message is, is nature always is going to kick your fucking ass. And, it, and again, it's unapologetically. Unap- it's just going to kick your fucking ass and then move on, you know? Yeah. I mean, the best creature features, uh, the monster always represents something. And whether or not it's, I mean, the best creature features, I'm saying. You can make a, you can make a monster movie where it represents nothing. But like, uh, I mean, the original, like, uh, creature feature like Godzilla. It was, it was a meditation on radioactive uh, energy in the Hiroshima bomb. Creature from uh, the Black Lagoon is the same way. It's like prehistoric bones, yeah. that, you know, a, a civilization that you shouldn't have fucked with, you know? Right. Yeah. So, like the best monster movies, the best creature features always have a tinge of, of metaphor that, uh, done right, is like not, it's not going to beat you over the head, but it's just there enough. Um, 
to be enjoyed either as uh, a meditation on uh, social commentary or something, and at the same time, just a fucking monster movie where people are getting slaughtered by something yeah. human. So, yeah. and it really is a balance that it makes it the art to be able to uh, to handle the two uh, and create a movie that uh, you know the high and the low can enjoy it. So, uh, I mean, about, I mean, this, this film too is like I don't know. Nobody really. I, if you're not familiar i mean green day has a song one for the razorbacks and i never knew what that meant you know growing up i mean i liked the song and it was cool i think it's on kerplunk but like what what the fuck is a razorback you know but like of course it's like an australian movie everybody knows what a razorback is it's like these things are all over the place you know and um but when you see this thing in the film i mean a razorback i'm sure at this point everybody knows it's a giant pig that's like uh keeps on coming at you even if you shoot it like it just has this like resiliency and it's really tough to kill and so that's kind of like the idea behind having it as this creature this like overgrown prehistoric razorback is like in the australian outback killing like little kids and shit and and going after humans and um that's a great idea for a film but i don't know like when you're doing it in the 80s do you think that everybody knows what a razorback is like you know I don't know that that's a stretch like if you think it's going to be shown in the states like is everybody like okay I want to go see this movie called Razorback and like what like what is a Razorback you know I don't know I mean aesthetically it's a pretty cool word so at least there's that uh yeah I don't know I mean that's a good question I mean there's a movie about giant killer pigs it's sometimes a hard sell and this movie did not do well in the theaters it definitely was a huge bomb uh hence why it was like forgotten for so long um, I mean, I was reading some comments uh, uh, on some of the articles I was reading and um, and a couple of videos I saw. I mean, apparently this is like kind of a classic, not just cult classic, but like a pretty revered uh, horror classic in Australia. So it's definitely something that like in Australia, at least, is held up as, as like a movie that uh, is in rotation for horror fans, at least. So uh, that's definitely good to know. Yeah. Um, and because yeah it definitely deserves its 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 status there in the horror community and and i mean it definitely has its its good amount of fans um but yeah it's definitely one that um like you said if you know you know yeah totally and i love those kind of films you know again like it's kind of cool i know a lot of people at this point know tremors i mean it's like what are they on the eighth film in the franchise uh, at this point but like and originally i think that was kind of like a film that did well and then they kind of like had more of a cult following afterwards you know it was like I think it did well initially but then it kind of went on into like the world of like oh like Mike Gross is in this the guy from Family Ties that's like that's weird but like you know and he plays an awesome character and it's so different than you would see from that character he plays in Family Ties but then also Kevin Bacon you know and it's like Kevin Bacon by the way I just need to say this. I was telling my girlfriend this the other day. He has these great reels on like Instagram that I've been following of him, like with his goats and stuff. And he, li- I think he lives over here um, in LA and I probably in Malibu too. That's how he has goats. But anyway, like the guy is so, his career is so perfect. Like he's in the original Friday or maybe the second Friday, the 13th, or it's maybe the original it's number one. Okay. And then he can be in movies like, fucking mystic river which is like one of my favorite like dramas uh especially from clint eastwood and then he can do like stir of echoes 
And then, you know, like this guy's in foot fucking footloose, like Kevin Bacon, man. You know, like, I feel like uh, people love him, but I don't think people really know why. And it's like, because he can do anything. Like he's not afraid to be in like the shittiest indie movie or to do a reel on TikTok where he's dancing with his daughter. Like this guy kicks ass. And I got recently been, I've always loved Kevin Bacon. I'm sure everybody does, but I don't think anybody's like, I fucking love Kevin Bacon. And I'm saying it right now in this podcast, I fucking love Kevin Bacon. Like I think that guy deserves at this point in his career to the the biggest accolades any actor can get because he can literally be in any movie. Hell yeah. I mean, I definitely second all of that. Uh, amazing, uh, amazing presence in my life. I mean, yeah, he, Tremors is by far like what I've watched him in the most. That was just kind of my movie when I was a kid, uh, one of my primary creature features. And so to me, he was always uh, that character. Uh, I just saw him last week. Um, he's got that little cameo in Planes, Trains and Automobiles in the first five minutes when he's chasing uh, after the cab uh, with Steve Martin. Uh, he's, he doesn't even have a line in the movie. It's just like a totally random cameo. He's just so perfect for it. Um, but I saw he's actually, so what I'm excited to see him in is um, the, the Toxic Avenger remake. Shut, uh, this is what I'm talking about. So he's the big bad in the new Toxic Avenger remake, which is being directed by Macon Blair, who is in... Um, Blue Ruin and Green Room. He also showed up in um, the Florida Project. Um, great actor, um, great director. And it's the Tax Avenger is being played by Peter Dinklage. So this entire, yeah, this, this movie, I've been, I, it's already shot. Um, so it's definitely coming out in the next uh, year or so. And I'm pretty excited to see what uh, all three of them do with that movie because. That's I mean, a, that's, a, that's a trauma classic, uh, uh, at least in my youth. So, yeah. And I mean, this is what this is, again, what I'm talking about. Like Kevin Bacon can do anything like I, I oh, yeah. whoever his agent is uh, <laughs> genius. Yeah, you're doing a great job. But... Yeah, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Kevin Bacon's agent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad you tell me about these films because I don't think I would have seen Razorback had you not mentioned it. I. I loved Razorback. Um, it's my first time ever seeing it was today. I rented it, so I'm going to watch it again so that I can like really bring it in and like see it, you know, for a second time where I can, uh, you know, think about it in ways where I, I'm not seeing it and having to talk to you about it. So I can just like li- literally let this pig scare the shit out of me. Um, and soak it up, soak it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, and like again, I, I, I don't know. I feel like this is one that kind of uh, will get me some points at a party next time I'm hanging out and somebody, you know, is like, holy shit, you know, Razorback, like it's going to be the coolest moment. And I can't wait for that to happen. Hell yeah. That's what it's all about, man. Yeah. Turning us on to the good stuff. I mean, this is why I love doing this podcast, turning you on to stuff, everything that uh, I get to learn from you and your expertise. This is why we're doing this, man. It's yeah. Sometimes it's like funny because you'll be talking about like last week when we did our, American movie, like, oh, I got a movie for us to see. (laughs) And you're like kind of snickering about it. And it's like, I that's like the fun for me is like waiting to find out what the movie is going to be. And then when I finally see it, I'm like, oh, I totally get it. I totally understand why Pat wants to do this, why he wants to talk about it. And yeah, that that makes it so much fun uh, to get into these conversations because it always, again, it has like 
uh, you always surprise me about your picks. I'm, I'm always surprised at what you do, but in like a good way. And, and they always end up to be very Patrick either way. Oh, yeah. Uh, the high and the low. That's definitely my favorite aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I can't promise you're going to like everything we talk about, but I can promise you that everything I choose will definitely have a reason and is at least worth a check out. What is the uh, deal with you and the Australian kind of uh, cinema? Is there is there is that just random that that is that way? But because you, you do love a lot of films that are Australian in nature. Uh, no, I think that was just random with these two, this and the proposition. Um, we got a derailed, you know, good thing derailed with other movies. Uh, but I was going to have these two go back to back just to stay in Australia and the ausploitation uh, component of it. I feel like, um, like I'm sorry, Pat. No, no. Yeah, that's all I was saying. I, I feel mean, like these... you, oh, God damn it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. I just feel like there's something that I've seen as like a common ground in a lot of these films. And maybe this is why the Australian films seem to um, gravitate towards like, I don't know, being a good setup because of these like desolate places where there's not many people and like a creature feature or like all hell breaks loose is like, it's kind of perfect for a, a setting for any kind of movie where like you can be brought into this world where it's not like, it's 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 sort of like its own world, you know. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I mean the setting itself is uh, is a character uh, in almost every movie in Australia. Uh, you know, at least one of the great ones that I've seen, they definitely utilize the outback as a character in the movie, and that just uh, adds a whole other layer to whatever either if it's drama or it's horror like this one. So, I mean, that's definitely one component of it uh, that I love. I mean, yeah, Australia. I mean. It is kind of crazy to think of like, I mean, not necessarily a lot of movies filmed in Australia, but it's pretty uh, impressive how many of our most famous actors, you know, act, uh, English, American making movie actors come from Australia. Um, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman. You're, you're Hugh Jackman's, you're Nicole Kidman's, you're Russell Crowe's. Uh, I mean, they just, it just, they just, it's a very, uh, uh, a large output of American actors. I mean, Baz working actors, yeah. Baz Luhrmann uh, making movies, uh, and look at his style. I mean, he's legendary. Uh, yeah, Australian. We're pro Australia. <laughs> We're pro Australia. We love. <laughs> yeah. We love Australia. I mean, Mel Gibson yeah, yeah. had uh, you know a little bit of yeah. uh, interesting career uh, as of the last decades, uh, but. He started in uh, Mad Max, which, uh, you know, obviously is a classic. And also he's great in Signs, which is one of my favorite movies. We've talked about this before. I definitely want to do Signs at some point. Uh, as, as the years go by, that is, that's definitely my favorite um, M. Night, I would say. Mine too. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I still haven't seen Old, which you, you said you did not like. Is that right? Yeah, it was um, unfortunate. Um, <laughs> don't talk about it <laughs> no fine but it's like okay. the visit you know it's like oh yeah Shyamalan like fuck yeah oh, Shyamalan yeah. the visit and then you know everything's kicking ass and then it's like oh like, <laughs> you know oh, that's just one there was a kind of like um, the stock market it's like okay it's up here and it's like kicking ass and all of a sudden it plummets yeah. all the way to the bottom and you gotta right, build right. yourself back up again <laughs> um I saw the preview for his new movie um knock knock something along those lines Who's I thought, yeah yeah very vague i'm not sure like what that's going to be but yeah 
Yeah, that was one of the most vague uh, previews I've seen for a long time. Um, yeah, uh, I also saw, I mean, going off on a tangent of what we saw uh, recently, but uh, I finally caught up with the uh, the Banshees of Inishirin, um, Martin McDonough's uh, new movie with uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Nice, I, I hadn't even heard about it. Yeah, Martin McDonough, I uh, did, um, so this is the reuniting with the two of the actors, um, uh, from In Bruges. Uh, so we did In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and then uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, oh, yeah. uh, which was nominated for Best Picture. Um, but I think this might be his best movie uh, set in Ireland. It's about the two characters, and it's basically a breakup movie of their friendship, uh, but incredibly funny, uh, which all of uh, McDonough's uh, uh, movies have been. Um, dialogue is so great. Um, I think that's where I saw the preview uh, that I mentioned. It's just what maybe popped that into my mind. Uh, definitely a definitely a great one to uh, check out if you've uh, enjoyed it. Uh, Martin McDonough's uh, movies in the oh, past. Oh yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, that's cool. I had not even heard uh, of that film, so glad you brought it up and check it out. Yeah, decently wide release. Not like a huge wide release, but it's definitely in like um, most major markets. Um, so it's definitely good to see um, that. I mean, I've definitely been seeing. It looks like. Um, Colin Farrell may get like his first um, Oscar nomination for this movie. So overdue. What's that? Overdue. Yeah, yeah. Talk, tell me about it. Yeah, I, I mean, In Bruges, I've always loved. So it's, it's such a fun movie to check out. Yeah. Um. All right. Anything else in Razorback that we missed? No, I mean, I would love to. I love. I would love for to hear people's opinions. Or if there's any Razorback fans out there when we post about this, like, you know, anybody who follows or listens, yes. let us know. I mean, this is yeah. one of the ones that's fun to talk about for sure. So uh, one of the cool things about this and why it's so Jaws-like, I think, is because they really make you wait to see the creature being the Razorback. You know, it's not sh- it doesn't show up all the time. It's kind of like the fact that it's always looming around is the scariest part of this film. And when you finally do see it, 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 it pays off. It's, it looks awesome fucking scary it meets its demise in the most amazing way um so let us know what you thought i mean i I definitely think that that is something worth talking about on social media because god knows there's a a lot of shit you can talk about on social media and this would be um one worthwhile conversation oh couldn't agree more loved it i would love to hear uh if anybody's uh, been a fan of this movie or if you check it out and uh hear what you think about it because yeah definitely a big fan of this one uh i mean talking about the effects like you were saying it's like it is that 80s tangible creature effects that was so unique in a time period of the 80s it was like before computers before they could just generate whatever uh whatever they wanted with cgi but it was enough advancements uh in like um practical effects with your tom savini led uh Uh, artistry Um, and that's just what makes the 80s so unique in horror because it was such a tangible experience to watch all these I mean just I mean like the thing uh, the fly this is like everything about the special effects in these movies is something that's will never get back really and was uh, just a unique uh, time period in, in film sorry about that I dropped my water bottle on the bottom of that I'm a little out of sorts today. I apologize. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, these 80s effects like definitely add to, like I was saying, like 
the character of the film itself, like to have this kind of fantasy world that you're kind of in and nobody else gets to be a part of, you're there with these characters. It's um, yeah. it's really something I don't know if you can do again. I mean, obviously shows like Stranger Things and places like that, they, they do a lot of these um, kind of rip off effects of the eighties, but it's, it's not the, but the, it's definitely not the same, you know, you, you could try, but you, unless you go and use that technology, you're never going to have it again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like I said, it's definitely a, a unique time in film history and it's, it's largely because of those practical effects. So for sure. Cool. Was that it? Anything else you wanted to mention about Razorback before we move into a little music talk? I don't think so. But again, thanks a lot for, uh, making sure that I saw this film because I loved it. I enjoyed it very much. Hell yeah. Love to hear it. That's why, that's why I love doing this with you, bud. Uh, yeah. I'm going to see the Menzingers next week. Uh, oh, nice. Got a couple of Christmas parties that we're doing out here already. Can you believe it? It's already the end of the year. We thank you guys so much for listening with us all year. I've had such a great year with you talking about this stuff. So in December, I'm trying not to work too hard. Um, I'm going to see a couple shows. Like I said, um, I'm trying to see the Fablemans. Um, I've got... Uh, Oh, we're going to release a new TLB song. I'm telling you, uh, if you listen to this, um, I'm telling you guys first, it's going to be on the 13th, I believe, if that's in Tuesday, so like in two weeks. And uh, yeah, pretty excited about that. We've got a bunch of plans for the band. So yeah, I got some music. I got some art. I've been doing custom commissions. Um, that's why I got my easel up i've been doing 16 by 20 commissions for like half price and i've got a couple of those um that i've got to do so i'm busy painting and uh that show that i worked on it's called the musician's green book um an enduring legacy i believe is the full name the musician's mm. green book an enduring leg legacy and that is aired now on PBS out here in LA and also yesterday premiered in Chicago. So that's out, that's finished. And I think that's all I got to add, man. I, I'm feeling very like the decks are cleared, you know, it's cool. Hell yeah. I didn't realize it premiered. Uh, so just yesterday, uh, is it um, available to stream or is it uh, premiering live? I think it's available to stream. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was live yesterday, but now I think it's probably on like the PBS platform stuff. And uh you can check your local listings, yeah. you know. <laughs> Hell yeah. There you go. Oh, man, I'm definitely going to check that out. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. And how about you? So you got anything else for the rest of the year? Or are you just going to be seeing a lot of movies? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, definitely uh, focusing on uh, some more uh, uh, some more book time. Uh, yeah. I've been, um, man, this week, so this was like a happy accident. Uh, my phone crapped out on me on Monday, Monday afternoon. There was an issue with the charger and, you know, this just happens technology. Um, I was annoyed by it, obviously, because uh, it's a fucking pain in the ass. Uh, but then by the evening, I was kind of like feeling like, you know what? I'm not going to worry too much about this. I'll just go casually and get it fixed uh, tomorrow. Uh, and that's extended uh, basically until today. Uh, I'm getting the new one in the mail. It actually just came today, but I've basically been without a phone all week. And I have to say, what a fucking refreshing uh, time it has been to not have my phone. You know, it's like, it's not, I'm not disconnected. I work from home. Um, I worked uh, from home this week uh, as I do every week. And so it's like, I'm not disconnected from anything. I have my um, 
access to email through work for work and my Zoom meetings. So I just haven't had my phone to compulsively look at uh, with social social media or whatnot all week. And it has been a much needed break. So I would definitely, uh, like I said, it, it was prompted on accident. So it's not like I initiated it, but uh, it's been a very positive uh, week for me because uh, I just don't have that uh, habitual reaching for the phone that is. Becoming... I'm, jealous. I'm jealous of that. I mean, that sounds great. The, for You know, what was kind of like becoming a problem for me was that a lot of times when I was on this, um, I was producing that um, green book thing that I've just mentioned, the green book show that I just mentioned. And I was like taking my phone into the shower with me, just like, you know, the calls were coming so much, like there was so much like content, there was so much shit going on all the time. Yeah. And it was like, you had to be available 24 seven. It wasn't like a normal job. And uh, yeah, I loved the experience on it and everything, but I'm glad to like not have to take my phone into the shower anymore. You know, like I'm glad I'd like, once it becomes that thing where like you have it all the time around you and it's constantly buzzing and it's constantly blinking and there's all these things that you can see, um, it's, it starts to become like a, a little bit of like a mental uh, issue. And I was like feeling a little like the world was caving in on me uh, for a little while. And I'm glad to not have that pressure of the phone always like I, I can leave it in the other room when I watch a movie, you know, like it's, I, I don't think human beings are supposed to be like <laughs> constantly overloaded with information that much. I just don't think that we were meant for that. No, not at all. And um, yeah, I mean, the phone and social media are amazing tools. Uh, I wouldn't want to go without them at all. But at the same time, you, uh, I definitely speak, just speaking for myself. And I think a lot of people are the same. It's like you just fall into a habitual reaching for the phone when you're uh, in between projects or doing everything in moderation right yeah and so having this time off is definitely uh exposed like um how much uh i'm good without uh, constantly having to check uh, social media or whatnot so yeah except for the fact like good. i really wanted you to know about the chris smith thing that was happening at the los filos three and hold <laughs> you <laughs> yeah so you lose out on some parts like that but uh you know unless i'm taking a plane there i'm gonna miss it either way uh, right. but yeah, no, I'm, and for the rest of the month, I'm looking good. I'm taking a week or week and a half off, probably go up to uh, Michigan just to hang out for a little bit, uh, stay in a cabin, read some long books. Uh, nice. That sounds nice. Definitely. Definitely something I try to do every winter for sure. Um, I'm reading uh, Gulag right now uh, by Anne Applebaum, which is a pretty harrowing book. It's about the internment camps in the Soviet Union in the 40s and 50s basically concentration style camps and it's a Pulitzer Prize winner book but definitely a harrowing read but uh, so I've been taking a break with that with some video games and, nice. and some Grand, Grand Theft Auto in between of that so very, nice. uh, that's a nice yeah, uh, yeah. yeah good balance yeah <laughs> very so cool well, before we leave we got to do our pick of the week for our songs right oh yeah oh yeah Love it. I'm excited to hear what you had. I'm loving your picks, by the way. I've been replaying our Damn. playlist on Spotify, uh, which has every pick that we've mentioned. Yeah, let's make sure we talk about mention. that. Yeah, sorry, Pat. I didn't mean to cut you off. I want to make sure we talk about that because I want people to be able to listen to it. I've enjoyed the fact that you made that. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be a working playlist. So hopefully in the months to come, it'll just keep on growing into a good reservoir of... Uh, music that uh, we've been enjoying lately so um yeah you want to go first but yeah i think i'll go first because you went first last time we'll just trade off um so i you know how like 
every year, like, um, I haven't really been listening to too much music this week because of the, uh, just the work that I've been doing. And so I don't really have like a current song, but I looked into this like um, Spotify, that's like the streaming service of choice that I have. And um, I looked into what I had like listened to a lot, you know? Um, do you know how they do that wrapped thing? And it's always like, you know, songs that are, for one reason or another, like I just played the shit out of. And um, one of the songs. The comfort songs. Yeah, kind of like, or they meant something to me. And so I just played them a lot. And um, one of the songs was um, a song by Sam Cooke called uh, Keep Moving On. And the reason I'm bringing this one up and talking about it, because I played it a lot. And the reason I played it a lot is that it has these great lyrics that are just like, Sam Cooke and all the great singers and artists of yesterday kind of like had a way of singing songs very simply. Like the lyrics didn't need to go into too much detail, but they're just like very profound in its simplicity. And the song is called Keep Moving On. And it, I, I love Sam Cooke. He's probably my favorite singer of all time. Um, mm. you know, up there with Morrissey, as you know, I love. Um, <laughs> but for some reason, um, I had never heard this one up until this year. I, I feel like I know every Sam Cooke song, you know, and I didn't, and the way that I found out about the song, and it has a good story behind it, um, I think I mentioned, and I've talked about it before, that I went through some surgery to remove um, a tumor in my back uh, last year. And I've been going through all this crazy doctor stuff and, um, you know, since then, and I had a really big doctor's visit where they were going to talk about something and to see like, you know, where I was going to go from there. And it was kind of something I was really scared about, you know, and I've been trying to do all this work in my life where like, I don't worry about stuff unless I really have to. And, you know, even then it doesn't matter. You just shouldn't worry about things because I'm, you know, you don't know the outcome of things. So you just try to live in the moment. And the reason that I love this song is because after it happened and my brother was waiting for me to like tell him the results of this doctor's visit and I did and they were they were positive and I sent um, him, hey, everything is good. And he sent me just this song. I put it on play. The songs keep moving on. And there's just these beautiful, simple lyrics about keep moving on. You know, life is this way. Keep moving on every day. And I think for any listener out there, if you've ever gone through anything tough, I mean, it's always good to kind of have this upbeat feeling and try not to dwell on it. Try not to stay in too much of a negative place and move on and move past it. Even if it's going to be a challenge, that, that, that issue in my life and that medical thing is still an ongoing challenge of my life. And it was a really big challenge last year, but I got to keep moving on. You know, that's why we do the podcast. That's why I do my art. Um, I just got to keep and surrounding myself with things every day that I love. So this is a very positive thing at the end of the year, looking back at the Spotify rap and seeing that I played this song a lot. My brother sent it to me and it was just so perfect. You know, I, I went for a walk, put the song on when he sent it to me and I was just walking around, like really taking in the day and being present in the moment, listening to Sam Cook, keep moving on. So that's my pick of uh, this this episode of remainders and uh yeah i hope you check it out let me know what you think if you do hear it and uh on to your pick pat oh uh, well i just want to talk about yours just for a second love love your pick um i know you're a big sam cook fan uh definitely happy to hear um music uh, get you through some of the hard times i'm definitely the same way um yeah. 
I have a, a vivid memory of um, of seeing a, a scissor show at Brower House, the old Brower House, and you were uh, wearing a Sam Cooke Lives T-shirt. Yeah, that, that you were so proud to fucking unveil to the crowd. <laughs> Still have that shirt. Oh fuck yeah! I, I, I expect nothing less than that. Um, so yes, uh, you have definitely uh, a huge. Fan. I think that might have been like I was vaguely aware of who Sam Cooke was at the time, but I remember listening to him shortly after that. So I thank you for uh, turning him on to me at the time, uh, all those years ago. So thank you for coming um, to the show. <laughs> oh, always a great time at that at that old Brower House. Jesus Christ, um, so good. Love to hear it. Great pick. Um, okay, yeah. So mine. I, uh, I'll preface it with, um, I listened to, um, this great episode of WTF, Mark Marin. uh, he had Robert Siegel on, uh, not the NPR, um, correspondent, uh, but the writer, he was, uh, one of the original editors for the onion. And then he moved on to, uh, screenwriting. Uh, he wrote the, the Darren Aronofsky, uh, movie, the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. He wrote, uh, the founder, um, with Michael Keaton and one of his first movies that he wrote and also directed is one that I've always loved that I don't think enough people have seen. It's called big fan. Uh, it's with Patton Oswalt. He plays an obsessed uh, New York giants uh, fan. Um, this came out in about 2009, I think. Uh, so not crazy old, but this is uh, basically when Robert Siegel's career was like kind of getting started in screenwriting. Uh, great movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, but on the podcast, he was just talking about um, his love of like kind of trashy Americana. And you can kind of see that as a recurring theme in everything he's done. Just yeah, kind of like this, yeah. the wrestler, uh, the founder, just fast food, um, big fan, just obsessed uh, sports fans. Um, he also is the creator and writer of, which I haven't seen yet, but the Hulu series Pam and Tommy uh, about Pamela okay. Anderson and you have seen it um so that's robert siegel um it's his uh his his uh interest in kind of the trashy americana and uh that's what i love a great episode uh wonderful guy to hear talk so i would definitely recommend that out. uh recommend checking that out but uh i did rewatch big fan always a movie i loved and there is a song in there from john kale that uh just captures kind of the tone especially of that movie but also of that uh, kind of trashy americana and gloom and morose kind of tone that comes with a lot of it. And so um, it's the John Cale song, Big White Cloud, uh, that I'm recommending this week, which is just uh, such uh, a fantastic tune. It's on uh, the 1969 album, Vintage Violence, uh, John Cale of Velvet Underground fame. Um, definitely a big fan of this. Like I said, it captures uh, this kind of gloomy kind of tone about uh, modern life, even though it was, you know, written uh, in the 60s, modern at the time, but uh, kind of the morose and um, uh, not, it's not a depressing song by any means, but it definitely captures a melancholy that is, uh, I think, recurrent uh, through America uh, after all these years. So definitely a big fan of this song. Uh, love to hear it. And obviously it's just was to show how much talent was coming out of the Velvet Underground in the 60s. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love the the name of the record, too. Vintage Violence. Like, that's like your, your pick last week had another great um, name for their record. Uh, forget forget it now. But um, I don't know. Like, if you have a good record title, 
chances are the record's going to be really good. <laughs> it's a definitely a good uh, good flag to get. So the name of the song on. is I'm sorry, Pat. A uh, big white cloud. Big um, white cloud on on vintage violence. Cloud. On vintage violence from John Cale. Yeah, so definitely excited. Uh, I possibly have sent you this before, uh, so let me know if I've done that. But uh, for everybody else listening. Uh, you know, also a good chance for you to re-listen to it as well. So, yeah, there's links to our Spotify playlist that we're putting together with all these picks in like the comments of the podcast itself. So you could just like hit, you could just bash that link as the kids say, and uh, you know, yep. go right to it. So yeah, that's really good that you you put that together. I'm excited to listen to Big White Cloud. I have not heard that song before. Um, I you, maybe you sent it to me, but I never. Uh, I can't recall right now. So I'm excited about it. Thanks for. Uh, Thanks for your pick. Yeah, man. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it. I mean, it just goes to show. It's like I love movies, but man, movies are such a good connector to music. Uh, either yeah. between who's in the movies, the music that's being used, the score. I mean, this, I mean, composers now are just modern day uh, classical musicians, uh, and just the uh, pairing of music to whatever story you're trying to tell. I mean, it's just I've, I've always uh, looked to art. film to discover new music so yeah it's a real art the last time i remember feeling some way about um a song and thinking just like whoa like whoever really picked this out was just brilliant and it was watching that show Dahmer, and uh mm. there's a song in there that uh i, I don't want to give out too much i know that's a, a little bit of a controversial um that's a kind of a controversial virtual show but there's a um song that plays during a, a scene that is just perfect it puts you in this like weird vibe but this like feeling about the characters that like is so disconnected from how you should be feeling but like it's just really done well and i feel like it's a real big art to find the right music to be paired with something on the screen to really give the audience an experience so that's why i love your pick this week and um i feel like even knowing the song won't do it justice without seeing it sometimes in the film. You know what I mean? Like you almost got to go and watch that film that you talked about with Patton Oswalt to see it in its place and why it does what it, what it did for you to pick it as yeah. your choice. Oh yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, really quick on that Dahmer pick. Was it one of the, was it a, a unique song in the Dahmer uh, series or was it part of the score? Um, it's a unique song in a, one of the episodes. It has to do with, um, I believe the guy's name is Tony and it's an incredible, incredible episode where one of the um, victims is deaf mm -hmm. and they choose this. And, and it's one of the victims where they, they really humanize the story and the care. Like it's a very, to me, it was a very, um, it was a way to really show that these were real people that deserved to be, their stories deserved to be told um, and who they were. And I think that the episode did that despite all of the information out there about how it was very not good for the families. And I can't speak to that. I, I'm sure it wasn't good for anybody to relive this kind of stuff, but I think that they paid tribute to this character, well, this person, Tony, who passed away. Um, and the way that he was loved and um, the tragedy that happened to him based on this terrible serial killer. But the song placement is just so beautifully done. The episode was beautifully done. Um, and I, 
it's almost like you know like you you can't disassociate the song now from the from the um movie but interestingly enough it's kind of like when a, a song is done again in a different movie if it's used again and you hear it somewhere else it almost kind of ruins the scene because you'd love it so much in like a certain scene so i don't know um I, I, that's only happened to me once licorice pizza uses a song that was um used in another film a sunny and Cher song and it's kind of like when that comes up the artist uses um bernard herman's score from vertigo at the very very end of that film i love that movie the artist but it was such a bad move to use vertigo's theme song at the end to everybody's thinking about vertigo when you're trying to tell a story about this like unique story that everyone's loving and up to that point now all you can do is think about vertigo because it's like the classic bernard herman fucking score yeah. <laughs> anyway <laughs> no no i mean yeah it really is tying the visual to the uh to the auditory that it's just like i mean that's what makes fucking film so goddamn great you know <laughs> i mean totally so, that's, that's the thing yeah. is like you want to watch something and like when i watch vertigo it's my favorite movie of all time i want to know like you know that score it's like if you had that psycho score into something else like you're thinking about psycho the whole time like uh, yeah, I mean, w- with that one specifically, you're definitely current, uh, purposely conjuring up that because that's such right. an infamous score. But uh, yeah, like most other scores may not be instantly recognizable. So uh, yeah. definitely. Love anyway, it. I digress. But yeah. Yeah. No, love it. Um, yeah, man. Two great music picks. As Good we get out picks. of this this um, talk, I just want to say I am as Chicago as I could be today. Uh, for anybody who's not watching this, I've got a mustache and I'm a fucking old style sweater that I got from the brand manager of old style himself, Anthony Spinham, one of my friends. He's no longer oh, yeah. with them. But when he was, I was able to get this amazing old style cold beer classic sign sweater that I get compliments on all the time. And it just pairs perfectly with that mustache, doesn't it? I mean, you got a dick of vibes going on hardcore. Right now. <laughs> Love it. I mean, the, you got the the great mustache, the unofficial flag of Chicago neighborhoods. Uh, it's by far the unofficial flag. Yeah. Um, yeah. You almost got the uh, the stat, um, stash beard, beard stash. I know. And that, I... So you just got to grow this out a little bit more and then keep this prominent and you'll be rocking that, uh, that uh, beard stash. I don't know if I got... I mean, this was hard enough to like walk around with a mustache, uh, just like, you know, creeping around LA with a mustache on. <laughs> so to, to have the beard stash, I think that's like another level of like uh, badassery that I have to perfect. So I'm, I'm waiting for you to do oh, yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is something I would love to do, but man, yeah, I'm pretty, uh, pretty comfortable with my beard. So uh, maybe I'll have, uh, my bar, uh, my barber, uh, kind of wrangle something up next time I go in. So which has got to be soon because this is getting a little needs a little needs a little wrangling in for sure. So it's going it's going okay because it's winter there. So you know. Yes, but the problem is uh if you remember Kurt Russell in the thing when he's stuck out in the cold and then we catch him and he's got icicles down to here in his beard. This happens to me when I'm going for my walks in the Chicago winters. So it's a very real thing. So looking like Jack Nicholson too, you know, in the uh, shining yeah, I definitely give uh, all these classic uh, movie uh, stars a run for their money with the frozen beards. 
<laughs> well, great. Uh, uh, thanks for bringing Razor back to my attention and to the attention of everybody out there. We've got some great picks of the week for our song choices. And we talked about a lot of things under the sun. Um, there are a lot of episodes in the remainder catalog at this point. We're on 29. I think maybe the last one that we do this month will be 30. That sounds like a good place to kind of stop for the year. Yeah. We do one more next year. It could be episode 30. And then we start with season four next year hell yeah man having an amazing time uh talk about all these movies that we love with you so definitely yeah. uh, looking forward to keeping it going me too maybe we'll have some uh folks out there throw some recommendations our way but in the meantime we're just going to pick out what we love and talk about it next week which will be my pick which i haven't picked yet but i, I promise i'll surprise you it'll be a good one and uh, we'll see you next time hell yeah Thanks, everyone. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Later. See ya.